I'm Michaela Firth. I work for the local NHS as a social marketing lead. I work with my public health colleagues and uh, we're trying to incorporate social marketing tools and techniques into improving our services and trying to capture patient experience. I'm talking to Professor Gerard Hastings today about how he can support and advise me on doing that. Hi Gerard, I just wanted your thoughts and views about how I would go about evaluating a social marketing programme. Oh, that's a, a big question. I think I wouldn't talk about it just in terms of evaluation. I'd talk about how you could use research market intelligence to guide your decision making. So it's not just a matter of trying something out and seeing whether it worked, yes or no. Mm-hmm. First of all, it is about how you do research. So the starting point would be to do some developmental formative research to see what needs doing in the first place rather than making assumptions about that. Um, it then, as part of that process, is going to involve you in thinking very clearly about what sort of objectives your campaign or your intervention or whatever it is you're intending to do is going to achieve. And objectives are are critical if you're going to decide whether it worked or not at the end of the day. You've got to have a destination to know whether you've arrived there. But you've also got to think through a couple of other things. How realistic are these objectives? There's an inclination sometimes in public health to have very ambitious objectives. Yeah, they are often. Yeah, whereas, you know, Coke would be happy with a, a half percent increase in market share. You know, we set about reducing smoking levels by 20% in five years. So be realistic about them. And that realism also means aligning what you're going to do with what you're going to achieve. So, you know, if you're running a communication campaign, it probably makes sense to have some at least of your objectives communication objectives. Yeah, sure. And if it's not appropriate to have communication objectives, it's probably not communication campaign you need. Yeah. So you're continually trying to marry up what your objectives are with how you're going to deliver that objective. The second characteristic you need to look for in your objectives is that they are somehow measurable. If you want to reduce smoking prevalence, for example, it's not enough just to say to reduce prevalence. You want to say from what to what, when. Yeah, sure. So you've got very specific measure you you can take. Um, So measurable, realistic objectives are very important. You've now done your formative research. You've developed your initiative with clear objectives. You're going to implement it, presumably. So you then need to make sure you've got some research function in there that makes sure it actually is being implemented. What people might uh, sometimes term process evaluation. So to take a very simple example, you're going to intervene in schools by giving fruit to all the children, for example, um, as has happened in parts of Britain. You need to check that the fruit is being delivered to the schools, that it is being given to the kids, that it is in an edible condition when they get it. Because there may well be processy things that go wrong that explain why it didn't work. So it may not be that the idea was was a bad idea. It's just that the delivery firm were not very good and they squashed all the apples and all the fruit was bruised before the children got it. So process is very important. And then you get to the issue of evaluating the effect. Yeah. Of course, you return to your objectives, what, do you, what you're trying to achieve, and then you have to try and work out whether your intervention had any impact on that yeah. knowledge, okay. that, that uh, perception, that behaviour. And in order to measure that, you're going to have to do some sort of control. Absolutely, because that's the hard bit, isn't it? If you're trying to change somebody's behaviour, what we're doing as as the health service, our interventions could be very, very difficult 
to monitor. It's, it's very hard to find out what factors are changing somebody's behaviour. Absolutely. And, and classically, the only real way of doing that is to have a control group and a test group. Yeah. So you intervene with the test group. The control group is otherwise identical. Right. Um, and, and you measure before and after. Even then, it's challenging, but that's classically the only way you can discount other things. Now, the the big problem with that is that it is phenomenally expensive to do. And mm. there's a real danger that that bit of the research process, and I've described it as a process, formative process, outcome evaluation, that that bit of the process comes to dominate simply because it takes all the budget. It does sound very complex. I mean, who do you think are the best people to undertake that kind of evaluation? Would it be the practitioners or would you suggest involving external consultants? Because it does sound as if it could be very time-rich and it would take a long time and a lot of resources. I think there's a number of different actors who can get involved in this. When you, when you say the practitioners, I assume you mean the people who are running the campaign. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And I, I think they have a role to play and should be doing some research. I feel that you, you need particularly the formative stuff to get your head around the people. But there's also clearly um, an issue here of standing back a bit and being independent of what you're doing. And mm-hmm. Fred, evaluating Fred's work is not a good model. Fred is going to be a bit close to what has gone on and is maybe yeah. inclined to think it yeah. was very good. And uh, so, so you, you want to step back from that. So there are at least three alternatives after that. There may be other people within your organisation who can engage with and, and help with research, You know, maybe a, a division of the health service that has those sorts of skills of one sort or another. There may be commercial operators, market research companies who can do this, and there may be academic institutions. Okay. And maybe a combination of these is really what's needed. I think what I would guard against, though, is the danger that you as the practitioner somehow let go entirely of this process. It's a really important part of you knowing what you're doing and learning from where you're going. So if we were looking at a budget, for example, as a guideline, how much budget percentage-wise would you allocate to evaluation? Oh, that's a really (laughs) difficult question to answer. Between 10 and 25%, I would say. Okay. Fair enough. It's just, again, Certainly, and anything less than 10%, you should ask serious questions. You know, it's, it's a bit like buying a hunting rifle and saving money on the sights. Okay. I just think sometimes that's the part of a, a programme or a project that gets tacked mm. on at the end, and sometimes that's when we don't have the money. So it's about doing that right at the beginning and planning that right in. Yeah. What is more, if you're really short of money, save money on your outcome evaluation, not on your formative research. Okay. That's really where you need to be. And I think we actually make a rod for our own back if we continually try to evaluate fairly small, short-term interventions on the basis of unrealistic behavioural objectives. We should have these objectives and we should be monitoring them, but it should be on a much more gradual process over you know, a 10-year plan, a 25-year plan. I think we, we should be thinking in those long-term ways and monitoring our progress towards them. But let's not kid ourselves that we can measure every step of the journey accurately. Okay. Thank you. That's really helpful. Thanks very much. Talking about evaluation, it's it's sometimes useful to think of specific examples. There's a mass media campaign that's being run at the moment and has been for the last five years by the European Commission right across Europe. So 27 countries, 22 different languages and a combination of media being used, um, everything from viral marketing to online cessation advice and email cessation support. So lots of things going on. And trying to evaluate that and whether it's worked is clearly an immense challenge. 
Part of it has been to do the classic communication and awareness monitors. Have yeah. people seen it? Do they engage with it? Do they like it? Do they say it has an influence on them? Yeah. And that's probably as far as we will ever get with behaviour change. Perhaps the only addition on top of that will be records of how many people have used the stopping smoking uh, helpline, yeah. uh, the stopping smoking email support and so on, and, and their, their claimed success rates. Okay. So one of the interesting things about it is that doing that over a number of years begins to paint a, an interesting picture. Yeah. You know, one off, it's, it's not terribly interesting, but you know, gradually the brand of that campaign, which is called a help campaign, the brand is beginning to come to life. People are okay. beginning to engage with it. And, but that outcome evaluation is a large-scale survey across all those 27 countries, so an enormous project, 1,000 people in every country um, each year for the, the duration of the campaign, so thousands upon thousands of interviews. But what has also been crucial to the success of that campaign is a regular induction of formative research to see what people think of the developing materials, yeah. the developing campaign. Is, is it interesting them? Does it engage with them? Um, do they understand it? And can you do a message that meets the needs of people from Romania to the Isle of Skye? Okay. And the answer is yes, you can to some extent and no, you can't in other areas. So, for example, we've had to adjust the campaign for countries that have smoke-free public places and right. countries that don't because, you know, yeah, just messaging sense. just doesn't work in one, in one area that, that would work in the other. So what about people who will say they're doing something when, in fact, they're not? So, for example, if somebody was to ask about how much you drink and we all know what we should be drinking, what about people who will just give the answers that they really think you want to hear? Well, first of all, I think we shouldn't just dismiss that. I think that's quite an interesting reflection of where people are at, the fact that they presumably then know they should be drinking less. So that, that's not com completely without value. But, it, yeah, it, it reminds us that we, we need to have rigorous research techniques. And uh, we, in fact, at the Institute for Social Marketing, have, have just done a large survey of adolescents which looked at their drinking behaviour. And alcohol consumption is the classic problem in this regard in that people are inclined to understate. Also, it's a very complex question you're asking. You know, what did you have to drink last night? If you had uh, a half pint of lager followed by a gin tonic followed by a glass of wine, how do you <laughs> answer the question, you know, even if you're trying to? So you need to put together a set of questions that allow people to answer it properly before we accuse them of dishonesty. Yeah. Let's give them a, a proper chance to do it. So it is about rigorous techniques. You can go a step further, as they do in tobacco research, and there are actually physical measures you can take. So if somebody course, says they don't yeah. smoke, you can take cotinine measures yeah. or CO2 measures or whatever to, to check up on that. But I'm inclined to think more broadly about this and say, you know, there's something, there's some element of trust missing here if people feel yeah, under scrutiny and getting a finger-wagging if yeah. somebody's asking me how much to drink and I lie about it. Because yeah. just as likely if they were talking to their mates, they'd be lying but in the opposite direction. In the other way, yeah. So it tells you something about how they relate to the people asking the question. And I suspect if you drill down a bit, you get to a place where actually it's a measure of the uh, failure of public health to engage people in the, the grand project as it were, which is that, you know, we've lots of advice, information and opportunity now to live lifestyles that are just as enjoyable as any other lifestyle and will be healthier and happier and longer. 
just shows you how complex we really are, doesn't it? It absolutely yeah. does. Absolutely does. <laughs> okay, thanks. From the Open University. For more information, go to www.open.ac.uk forward slash use.